address a topic today for just a few minutes that as I have launched into 2022 and is asking the Lord for direction, I have been shaken to my core spiritually in some areas. And I want to address the topic today of prayers of desperation. Are there any of you that find yourself in desperate situations that you just are at a place you absolutely have got to hear from God? Last night as I had gone, my wife spent the week at my son's house helping them out, and and as I was bringing her back home, we stopped at a restaurant, and the lady that was our server, after serving us, was having a conversation with the table that was next to us, and obviously she knew them. And she began to break down in tears as she was having a conversation because she had told them that She apparently has been married for 12 years, and for 12 years her husband had been in charge of all of the finances. They thought that they were hitting goals only to discover that he had had a secret drug addiction and that everything they had was gone. She said, I find myself, as she's talking to these people, I am absolutely destroyed relationally. My trust has been destroyed. Financially, we are a shipwreck. And right now I'm trying to parent through the most difficult time I've ever found myself in in my life. And I remember sitting there and Cindy and I are just looking at each other, realizing you can learn an awful lot about people if you'll just listen. And I begin to think of the number of people and the number of families that this lady represents in our nation, in our world, that absolutely are desperate. And as I was thinking about that, applying that to This new year, there are so many times that as we approach new years, we have new goals and new guidelines and things of that nature. And honestly, this year, in 41 years of ministry, I have never felt less sure of anything in my life than I have as I enter into this year. Every time I have prayed and sought the Lord, it seems as if I have been in a fog. And in that fog, I have been told, just stop and listen. When you can't see where you're going, you need to listen to my voice. I don't know if that describes any of you, but it brought me to a place where I am so overwhelmed right now by this word that I'm about to preach that has been simmering in my heart and prayer life during this week of prayer. I begin to be overwhelmed by the realities that surround us. And so as I approach the topic of the role of desperate prayers in my life, I recognize that many of you today find yourself in desperate places in your families. There are churches that are in desperate need. Our nation and our world and our culture and our faith and the mystery of divine providence in our universe. And I recognize that I am not adequate for this task. And every time I approach this pulpit, I do so getting ready to start a prayer before I preach. And I have a tendency when I preach And certainly when I pray in public, especially at the beginning of a sermon, to try to set that prayer up so that it sets the sermon up for success. And I've discovered in my own life that I even have this sin-sick tendency in a setting like this to pray in such a way that my words would impress you. And at the same time, I know that many of you, the moment that I begin to pray... Your mind begins to slip to a thousand different things. 
The moment you close your eyes, and I recognized this last week as I was watching the service online, and I recognized that perhaps there are hundreds of people right now that because of COVID or conditions, and you're watching from home, and I recognized in my own home, looking around, a number of different things that instantly wanted to demand my attention. And our mind slips off into all of these different places the moment that we begin to bow our heads and say some words. And if we're not careful, we can allow this perfunctory prayer or even the fact that we attend church on Sunday morning to allow us to forget what is really happening here. That when we pray, do you realize who we are talking to? Do you realize what you are doing when you pray? Do you realize that you are talking to the God of the universe and that there are millions of us simultaneously at this very moment crying out to God? And do you realize that God is listening to every one of us while he is making sure that the heartbeat of 7.2 billion people continue in a rhythm. And while every one of us have organs that he is helping us to see that they function, and while he is controlling the spin of the earth and the moon and the galaxies and the stars, and he knows every one of them by name, he hears every word we pray at the same time because he is fully capable. So you need to know this morning that you have God's attention. When you pray, you have his attention. So I ask you, please don't let your mind wander. And please don't treat prayer as if it were unimportant because it is not unimportant. It is more powerful than you have the ability to comprehend. So with that, would you please close your eyes as I pray. Oh God... We know that you hear us right now, and I ask that you would help us to capture the significance of this moment with you, because we are in desperate need, and we cannot do this without you, and forgive us for trying. Now direct our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. In the history of the church... When you look at the mighty movements of God from biblical times to contemporary times, when you look at the history from Nehemiah to the New Testament church, from the 17th century Puritans to the 19th century laymen and students, you will see a steady stream of men and women who are known for their passionate pursuit of prayer and chasing after the heart of God. They were known for a desperate desire to love God, a desperate desire to belong to God, a desperate desire to experience the power of God from Him and through Him and to belong to only Him in prayer. And I fear as I approach my first opportunity to speak to you in this new year that that is not what the church is now known for today. For today we are known for our preaching and our teaching, for our writing and our blogging, 
our organizing and our strategizing, our networking and our collaborating, our planning and our planting. But we are not known in this world today for our prayer and for our fasting. And in this, we are in profound danger of missing the entire point of what God desires of us. You see, God wills that we would be a praying people. As I was looking through the list of those of you that wrote out prayer requests that we have been praying for during this last week of prayer, I could not help but see a common theme occurring and reoccurring of, I need to know God's will for my life. Can I just tell you that God is not trying to hide his will from you? That oftentimes what hinders us in knowing what God wants us to do is simply our stopping life and pursuing his will with all of our hearts. Stopping what we're doing, putting away the distractions, and pursuing his heart until there is a peace that surpasses understanding. And we know without a shadow of doubt that this is what God would lead us into. We are in profound danger of missing the idea that God wills for us to be a praying people and that God wills to work in our world in a way that echoes the cries and heart of God's people, his children, as we pray. Or let me put it this way. God brings about remarkable change in the world in response to the passionate prayers of God's people. Your prayers... And my prayers affect the way God acts in the world. In the book of Esther, we see the incredible example of how the holy desperation of one person can change the course of history. And so let me set this stage for you. The people of God had lost his presence. They had lost his provision. They had lost his protection. And they were dealing in a situation where their lives had been captured. They had lost out on the things of God. And as a result, they were conquered, they were captured, and they had spent 70 years in Babylon. Babylon itself was conquered by a nation called the Medo-Persia. And King Cyrus eventually allowed the people of God to return home to rebuild the temple and the testimony that they had lost on the earth. But you need to know this. When God has a plan for his people, the devil will come up with a counter plan. Let me repeat that. When God has a plan for his people, the devil will come up with a counter plan. And his counter plan will always involve oppression, threats, fear, and even death. And the theme that is common throughout history, and even we see it even in the book of Esther, that there were a people who, because they had forgotten who they were and where they'd come from and the power of their God, were living in a fearful situation. And that is the setting that we find in the book of Esther. And now there were a group of people, led by one man in particular, so angry and jealous of the people of God that he plotted to kill all of them and was well on his way to being successful. And if Haman had been successful, it would have changed history as we know it as it relates to how God moves among his people. So what we have is God's plan to thwart 
the schemes of darkness. And we look at this, and when we read the book of Esther, we often consider Esther to be the marquee player in this whole story because she was the queen, and she prayed, and she fasted, and went before the king and petitioned him. However, I want to suggest to you this morning that the real hero of the story was the man who started this all, and his name was Mordecai. He passed the baton. The Persian king had issued a decree that the people of God would be eliminated. And when that story had reached Mordecai, a family member of Queen Esther, the wife of the king, he began to intercede. I need you to recognize today that as I am relating this story, it becomes very easy for those of us who have discerning eyes to see that the church as we know it in our world today is in danger. In fact, there are many times that we don't even see the danger because we have grown in the comfort of our own lives. But today, I believe God is allowing the church to wake up to the fact that if we are not careful, the freedoms that we have grown to love and live in will be snatched from us. And we will find ourselves as captured people. In Esther chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it said, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes He put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. Here was a man whose heart was gripped in holy desperation. He recognized that he was in a situation that was outside of his control. And that if God did not intercede... Everything that they had would be lost. And he was praying in holy desperation, not for himself. And this is where prayer finds its power. When we finally get away from praying only for our own struggles and our own trials and our own provision, and not just about God save me, but about when we take on a position of saying, Lord, we come on behalf of your people. And we pray for those that do not know you and take on an intercessory aspect because Mordecai was a lone voice dressed in sackcloth and ashes repenting of the sins of his people as much as he knew how. And you'll notice that he went as far as he was physically able to go. He made it to the gate. And here was a picture of somebody coming before God in desperation and saying, Lord, I will do my part. I will go as far as I can go, and then I'm going to count on you to do what I cannot do. Folks, I believe that there are some of you in situations in your families, some of you in situations where you're going, Lord, I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to go as far as I can go, but Lord, at that point in time, I need to depend upon the power of prayer for you to do something that I cannot do. And Mordecai was acting as a runner in a multi-person relay. And as far as he could run, he ran. And then at the gate of the temple or gate of the, the castle, he fell down and he stretched out the baton to somebody in his family who was supposed to be the next runner. Interesting enough in this account is that the person that he was handing the baton off to didn't even know that she was in a race. She did not even know that she was supposed to be the next runner, and she had no idea what was going on. And unfortunately, that seems to happen to us as well. I'm standing here as the product 
of four generations of people before me that knew the Lord and have poured themselves into my life. Some of you today are here because you have a praying grandmother or a praying grandfather that have prayed you into the kingdom of God. Some of you, you're the first generation and the generations that will follow you will forever be changed because somebody prayed you into the kingdom and handed a baton off to you that we cannot afford to drop in these last days of time. It goes on in Esther to say, In every province to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews. With fasting and weeping and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And when Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came, and they told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of the sackcloth. In other words, she didn't know what he needed, so she was going to send stuff just to make him look better. She didn't know the need because she was locked in the castle and had no idea what was going on. Church, we cannot afford to be locked into a place where we don't know what's happening spiritually in our world. We need to pray for a discernment that comes through the Holy Spirit. We need to say, Lord, I know I'm feeling something in my spirit. I know I'm feeling an, uh, a discomfort here. And recognize that God is churning his people to pray in ways that we have never prayed before. Mordecai would not accept the clothes. And Esther summoned Habak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was going on. In other words, what's going on with my cousin? Why isn't he accepting the care that I want to give him? Society was turning against the people of God, leaving them seemingly powerless to defend themselves. And Mordecai simply would not accept the comfort. We are in danger as an American church. We have had people that have come from places where their testimonies have cost them a great deal. We have people in our church today who have family members in other countries who the ability that they have to worship, they do so at great personal expense. In fact, there are countries whose lives are in jeopardy because they're worshiping today, and some of them have come to America. And the reoccurring theme that we are hearing from these people is this. America is caught in a spirit of slumber. The American church is caught in a spirit of slumber. That there is a spiritual warfare that is taking place around the world that we simply are unaware of because we are locked into the comfort of our own castles. And God is calling us to wake up and engage. In the fourth chapter, in the sixth verse, it said, So Haddock went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to might command to go into the king's presence and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their life. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go into the king." 
And when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. There is a fear in the hearts of God's people today that have caused us to shrink back into self-preservation. That have caused us, particularly the American church, that rather than engaging in the fight, we have discovered it's far easier for us to just enter into the inner rooms of our own castles and let the world worry about themselves and do not have a knowledge of that which is taking place. And I believe that the word of the Lord to us today is this. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will escape what is coming. Just because we have lived blessed lives, if we do not enter the fight, that whatever niche of protection that we have carved out for ourselves will not be enough when evil shows up. Likewise, this evil is not going to pass over your house either. You have a choice. You can spiritually perish or you can fight. And you can begin to stand in prayer and invoke the holy name of God and begin in desperate prayer to cry out so that the hand of God can be moved on behalf of those that love him. And then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are present and fast for me. Do not eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do, and when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Thank God that Esther had somebody interceding for her by the name of Mordecai. Because as a result of that prayer, she took up the cause. I have to tell you that this week of prayer for me has been different in its personality than previous years. Rather than speaking loudly, I felt all week long to sit quietly and to listen. And I have to tell you that those of you who have been faithful... It has been encouraging to me to begin to hear the passion of which you are approaching the throne of God, to hear the desperation that's coming out of the voices of God's people. We encourage each other when we pray. Even in our desperation, we encourage others to engage in this spiritual fight that we have been called to participate in. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, you know what? I may be the only one in my family that knows how to pray to God. I may be the only one that knows God. And if I'm the only one, I don't know what good I can do. I want you to know something. God's plan and purposes for the Jewish people were changed because of one man who took up the cause and said, I'm going to pray and I'm going to get desperate in prayer. And I don't know, don't care who knows and I don't care how I look. Because God can take the prayer of anybody when we make it to the king's gate in desperation. You see, we have access to the king. Others will not pray if you do not pray. Others will not have a burden if you do not have a burden. And it's not just enough to try to push somebody else into the arena of prayer. We must go to the gate ourselves. And we need to understand that all it takes is one person with holy desperation reaching out to inspire others 
to allow God to move and just not care what it looks like because you're so desperate. And so Esther came out of that time of prayer and fasting wholeheartedly depended upon God. And I want you to know that she was not without fear, but she had greater courage because I believe that when she was in that time of prayer and fasting, that God gave her incredible wisdom. I believe that the Lord told her what to speak, how to speak, what to say when she got there, who to talk to. And the Lord told her how to dress and how to behave and why she should speak. And when she stood before the king in great courage, God had got there first because of the desperate prayers of people on her behalf. When you begin to pray and fast... Watch the influence that God gives you. He will give you influence in your family. He will give you influence in arenas and areas that you never thought possible. And perhaps today you have spent most of your Christian life in self-preservation. And all of your prayers have been about yourself. And today God is challenging you for you to understand that there is a bigger battle out there. There's a whole host of people who have no power to defend themselves against evil. And you are in a place where you can go to the gate of the king and cry out for them that they might be spared. They don't know him. You do. They don't know the power of prayer. You do. They can't move the hand of God. You can and we are being called to a place of holy desperation. They don't know that the king will tip his scepter toward them if they will just move toward him. But you do. And so God, with the knowledge that we have of the world in which we live, may we stand up and in desperation as a church begin to cry out until we have found the power of God that we need and no longer be so concerned about self-preservation as we are about the lost that don't know our King. Worship team, would you please come? Queen Esther stood before the King. And after prayer and desperation, after having been handed the baton, the king, without even realizing it, being moved by the hand of God, said, what is it that you would like me to do for you? And you and I both know that Esther was seeking to have the law of sin and death canceled over her people and that a new law would be written to give them power to stand up and not only fight back, but defeat their enemies and be victorious. And it's not just about her people because today we are the beneficiaries of that prayer of Mordecai. We are the beneficiaries of that. And the link that God had for his people moving forward was not broken. Some of you today, without even realizing it, are a link to what God wants to accomplish in the future. But that link needs to be strengthened in prayer and fasting. That link needs to be addressed as you fall at the gate of the king and you get desperate in your prayer life and you begin to fight for those that can't fight for themselves. All of this happened because one man had holy desperation in his heart. What we're going to do this morning is this. We're going to spend 10 minutes and I'm going to ask some of you, you can either 
turn around and kneel where you are in your chair or if you want to just lean over and make an altar where you are or just pray how you are we are going to seek the face of God for 10 minutes together for some of you that's going to seem like forever as you develop the skill of with a desperate heart seeking the face of God for some of you this is going to be an unlocking of a door some of you have given up in prayer on things that God has promised you and I'm here to tell you don't give up get desperate don't give up get desperate because when we get desperate the hand of God moves over these next few weeks I'm going to be talking about what happens when the church prays and I encourage you to be faithful to that but right now if you will if you will you can turn around and make an altar where you are you can kneel where you are if you feel you want to come to the altar you can do that but for 10 minutes we are going to pray and seek the face of God while our worship team sings.